Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Chad Hawk with Matt Dowd, and we are Renegade Atlas, charting a new path for your life. So, Matt, a lot has gone on. <laughs> We've had so much happening. Um, We've had mandates that governors have um, pushed through or local communities as far as mask wearing and limiting restrictions and who can do what and where they can do it. And this is, in many ways, a lot of people consider it an affront to freedom. And um, here in the local Kansas City area, there is uh, a movement from small business owners who say, you know what, people are adults, they should make the they should have the right to choose whether they want to wear a mask or not. Um, they should be the ones responsible for making their own choices and decisions and not some government body. And I happen to be one of those people. Right. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't wear it if you don't want to. If you do, just make sure you use clean procedure, which most no one has been trained on and they don't aren't aware of those things. And there is a, a local community of businesses, as I was saying, that have gotten into this and they've started meeting and the lady who started this owns a, a local business and i wanted to have her on and talk about this issue because it pertains to how we each perceive freedom and how we perceive our health and our well-being and that's why i wanted Brittany vallis to be on with us today so matt yeah you're you're in a place now where you're facing major life changes true in the next week yeah as soon as maybe later this afternoon. Yeah, it could be, yeah. Things could be happening for you right. with a new baby yeah, on the way. Yeah, got a baby boy on the way. Could be any any minute now. Could be called out of this episode to go to the hospital. Probably not, but could happen. Yeah, it could happen. Yeah. And you're a great example of somebody who is on the forefront of being concerned about these types of issues. You know, is my child going to grow up in a healthy environment? Am I doing everything I should do? And those are those are vital questions, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think I'm personally predisposed to be sort of nonchalant about these kind of things, but definitely having an ex a growing family raises my level of concern and awareness to some degree. And I know like that for my wife, it's been on the forefront of her mind. So just, you know, we've been talking through these different things and trying to figure out how to think about them correctly and what information to pay attention to. And so I think what Brittany's going to have to share is at least going to be enlightening, you know, and, and how we can approach this whole issue. Sure. So Brittany, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Chad. Thanks for having me. So why don't you give us a little bit of your history because you have an extensive history. You're, this is not your first entry into the world of freedom of choice and healthcare decisions. Absolutely. Right. Yes. So why don't you tell us a little of your story? Oh, I'm trying to keep it really uh, quick. We have five children and the same thing whenever you start expanding your family and uh, when you have another life to be responsible for, you start looking at the world a little bit differently and uh, you start digging into information a little bit more extensively rather than just you know taking what is told to you at blind face value. So I began doing that probably a little bit later on in my family, really on my fourth and fifth child. I started looking into um, just environmental factors, uh, typical procedures that we do just, you know, between vaccinations, medications, you know, ingredients in our food, you know, just different pesticides, just different things in the world. And I realized how they were affecting my family in particular. And the more I researched, the more I got involved, um, I realized how important it is to maintain our own personal choices because as human beings and as each of my five children will show you, every person is uniquely made. Every person has a very di different genetic profile, 
even from the same set of parents, uh, different lifestyle, different environmental factors and so forth. And so when it comes to anything that has to do with our health, it's really important that we maintain that freedom of choice because I don't believe there's any such thing as a one size fits all. Absolutely. And that's the big thing that Matt and I are always talking about is how each of us are uniquely created and made and how God has instilled in each of us our identity. That's Mm -hmm. what we need to live into. Yeah, for sure. I also think the genetic conversation is really interesting that you mentioned that, Mm -hmm. you know, um, like with COVID, how from my uneducated viewpoint, you know, scientifically anyway, it seems like people, uh, genetic predisposition is a big factor in what's going on with the COVID virus. I don't know if you have thoughts on that one, Doc Hawk, but. Um, I think lifestyle has way more impact than genes on this one hmm. um, and age. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. There are 80, 92 deaths, the last I've seen in Johnson County, and the average age for death was 81 years old. And actually, the average lifespan goes to 78 years old, which I find that very interesting that the average age of death is 81. There were only two people um, in their 40s, between 40 and 45 in Johnson County that passed away. In my understanding, there were some gross morbid comorbidities, underlying conditions and so forth. Uh, But the majority, more than 85% of the people that have passed away from COVID in Johnson County, oh, it's right here. Um, So let's see that we're in a long term. So it was 80, I'm sorry, 77 of the 92 deaths actually passed away that were in long-term care. So um, as un- horrible as that is, I lost my 96-year-old grandmother literally on Saturday, and it's awful. Um, but definitely the way the media is playing this out to be, that everyone needs to be afraid, everyone needs to be masked, everyone is at risk of dying. When you look at the actual data, that's just not true. Yeah, I think that... that- Well, let's just talk about the data real quick. When you look at the demographics, the breakdown from zero to nine, 10 to nine, actually from zero until you get to the 40 to 49 year olds. Mm -hmm. Um, So from zero to 39, zero deaths in Johnson County, Kansas. There are two deaths in the 40 to 49 year olds, 50 to 59, zero deaths, 60 to 69, five, 70 to 79, 15, and then 80 plus is 70 deaths. So the thing is, of those 70 deaths, how many had predisposed positions, comorbidity, right? They had other issues that were going on and perhaps COVID could have been one of the things that pushed it too far. It could have been many other issues. We don't know. We don't know. But when we have shut down an entire city with statistics like this, it's shocking. There's been more car ac- deaths from car accidents in the under... 65 age range by far than there have from COVID. Well, and what's interesting to note too, the older population that is passing away as devastating as that is, do the actions that we are taking, does it really justify the means? You know, my grandmother has been in isolation or was in isolation for four months. I saw her before the isolation started, the lockdown happened. And while, you know, she's 96, she has dementia. So she was definitely on her decline on her way down. Um, she was drastically thinner yesterday when I saw her through the window than she was just four months ago. She was a literal skeleton. And who knows what the psychological and physical effects are from all of this shutting down. And as a 90 something year old or 80 something year old, is it really in their best interest to keep them away from their family and their friends, especially if they're on their decline anyway and at the end of life? Yeah, that's a very difficult decision. And and I think that's where the 
the I don't I don't know what you would call it. Maybe the media machine or um, bureaucrats who have now a podium where they have power when they didn't before. They're pushing agendas that have no evidence in science, mm-hmm. none. Well, what's interesting is the governor's order, it states in there what qualifies as a mask, and it includes T-shirts, sweatshirts, and towels. I've never seen a mask or a study that's been done showing the effectiveness of a towel that prevents the spread of COVID or any virus. Yeah, but the T-shirt. Where's the science in that? The (laughs) T-shirt. A T-shirt might. Yeah, come on now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So those who don't know, um, I I worked in a blood lab when I was long before I was a chiropractor and we had clean procedures we had to follow. And in there, one of the things was, is you were tested every month to see if you were creating contaminants and you were doing, and so we had all these strict procedures. And if you, you know, failed X number, then you had to redo all these safety protocols and procedures. And it drives me insane after, after working in a clean lab, walking around and seeing people touch everything. I'm like, it's doing zero. And the idea that you're doing something good by wearing it for others is completely false, especially if you're wearing an N95 mask. An N95 mask is just like a blowtorch sending all the stuff you exhale into the environment. You know, it doesn't block it. It's sending it straight out into the environment. So you may be protecting yourself potentially from some viruses, potentially, but you're not helping anyone else by wearing an N95 mask. So to say you're doing it for another person, well, that's not true. It doesn't work that way. They have the they have a one-way valve. Well, and what's interesting, too, is that the actual micron viral of the COVID virus is 0.3, 0.2 to 0.3 microns. And the N95, it only filters coming in, what is it, like three microns? Three. Is that three microns? So the pore size of an N95 mask is like 30 times larger than the actual virus itself. It might stop a droplet from coming in, but the virus that's in that droplet can come straight through that mask. Right. So you're not protecting anything when it comes to virus. And does it? I guess that's a no, it question doesn't. I it have. can't. I mean, no, no, no. I mean, does the virus move on its own? This is a, like a question out of ignorance. Just, I don't even just know. your own breathing just will suck it in. in air. Yeah. It doesn't just, have to be in moisture droplet or something like that. Right. Right. A virus does have ability to move, but very, very limited. It's not going to be like a it's not going to run towards you or something like that. Well, and if we're concerned about droplets, how close do you have to be to another person to actually feel their spit through talking to you? You know, my daughter is six years old and she was practically on my lap and as she's missing most of her teeth now. And <laughs> she was spitting all over me through conversation, made me realize, well, you're practically on top of me and I can feel your spit. But if you were right, you know, two feet away from me, I certainly couldn't feel your spit. Right. Just through talking. It, and, and it's one of those things that we, we get into um, reality versus myth versus placebo effect. And I think there is something. I think that masks have become the great placebo of 2020. They have no evidence for doing anything, but it makes people feel better about it. So they're doing it. And uh, that's that's actually a big danger because placebo actually doesn't do anything except on the psychological level. Mm-hmm. You know, well, yeah. there's a Chick-fil-A in Lenexa that had closed down recently due to an outbreak from its employees. Ten employees came down with positive um, covid results. And so they shut it down. However, Chick-fil-A has been one of the frontline people, frontline companies that has done every single protocol. Those employees have been masked. Every single shift yep. for long shifts, they wear plastic tents when it rains. I mean, they have worn gloves. Right. They've they've really taken it seriously. So if they have a breakout, taking all of these 
you know, precautions, how effective are these precautions? Right. Exactly. It seems like the only totally effective thing is isolation, right? Like just not being around other people. I would contend that. I would say perhaps maybe if you're in a liable or fragile population group. However, if you're not in that group, the best thing you can do is get exposure to it. I'm just saying like to not transmit it at all. Well, in New like, York City- As in masks aren't that effective, I guess I was just trying uh, to say yeah. that the only real way to know that you're not spreading it is to not come in contact with people. Well, not necessarily, even with that. In New York okay. City, they found that 70% of their most recent cases that were positive were actually those who self-quarantined and stay in their home. Yep. With air, uh, you know, with a- um, where I'm thinking of um, aeration or something. No, um, apartments. <laughs> apartments. <laughs> apartment style living. It's not like you have backyards and it's, you know, you really have to make an effort to go to the nearby park. So in New York City, the streets were empty. When they self quarantined, they really self quarantined. Oh. And when they did go out, they did wear their masks and they found that about 70% of new cases were those who had self quarantined. So that in their apartment. In, in their, their apartment. Apartments. So that sounds kind of like a nursing home yes. type of thing, like yeah. a contained environment where they're sharing air. Yes. Then more, right? Possibly. I mean, Possibly. maybe that's Could be. why. I don't know. Yeah, we don't it's know. It's all such like, yeah. I think the biggest thing to, again, looking at the data and the information and taking away the talking head information that's trying, you know, that gives fear, looking at the actual virus itself, we have data now. We have actual death rates on, per population. And across the board and in other countries, we're finding it's a 0.02 to 0.03% mm -hmm. actual death rate, which means that your survivability rate is 99.97%. Never before in the history of viruses have we ever tested healthy people for a virus we only test you if you're sick or you come down with symptoms right, right so if we were to do this with every other virus you know maybe we could find other people in the flu maybe the numbers for the flu would go through the roof we just don't know sure um but the fact is at the end of the day when you see numbers like with johnson county that it's really an issue with the older population um even older than what our expected lifespan is that that much older yeah. um, and those with underlying conditions and so forth. Um, and the survival rate is really nearly a hundred percent. And there are protocols out there now from doctors and other countries that are showing 95 to a hundred percent success rate in their highest risk populations, such as there's a doctor in Texas who is uh, his protocol is you just take a pulmacort and a nebulizer, um, which is an, an asthma medication. So basically it's treating it as um, the, the inflammation of your respiratory everything it's an it's a respiratory inflammation disease so he's doing that he's doing an, an antibiotic to prevent pneumonia and zinc in mm -hmm. your cells and um he's had a patient recently that had cancer stage four was undergoing undergoing chemotherapy and she was cured of covid within three days even though she still had cancer so with these protocols in place it's not popular to air it on mainstream media because it's inexpensive his entire protocol is under 200 dollars in cash um it's easy and if you do early testing and you give the protocol quickly and don't wait until they're in the hospital taking their last breaths, hundred percent success rate. There's no reason to be afraid of the virus. Yeah. That's that gets right to the heart of the issue. There's zero evidence to support any fear of this virus. Mm -hmm. Zero evidence to support. I mean, if you just look at the empirical data on it, if you just look at the data, there's no evidence to support what the actions we've taken are as a nation, not to mention the the financial impact that it's had and the fear impact and then the division that's occurring in in families or in people now. Um, I can't go. I mean, it's more much, much, much more challenging for me to go to a store. I can't wear a mask because of my 
condition. I have pectisex gravatum. I have a 60% decrease in lung capacity as it is. If I go to a store and put a mask on, I could pass out on the floor. So who's going to take responsibility for that? Well, I have to. It's my responsibility. So I choose not to wear one. So I just can't go anywhere unless there's places that are willing to let me enter and not give me a, a hard time about it. But that creates division. And then you walk in if you are or you aren't wearing a mask or people ridiculing you. My next door neighbor, she's 68 years old. She had to go to the store. She's got a respiratory problem. She can't wear a mask. She gets yelled at. A lady pulls her phone out and starts live streaming, sh publicly shaming her. Mm -hmm. And this is at a local grocery store. Wow. You know, it's just like, come on, people. Really? Is it necessary? Well, and that I blame that on the media. I do too. Absolutely. To create so much fear and division and what you should do for other people. The fact is at the end of the day, we are human beings and we cannot control other people. And that is the simplest fact of the world. If you've ever had a two-year-old trying to give them peas and they really do not want to eat their peas, they're not going to swallow those peas no matter how hard you try. And that is at the most fundamental level. So to, you know, blame other people or to expect other people to keep you safe, that goes against you know, that goes against everything. You know, don't expect other people to do your job and your work. That And, and that's really where it comes down to personal responsibility, yes. I think, is, is really the key here. If you want to do it, fine, do it. Use great, clean procedure when you're using a mask and then learn the proper ways to do it. But don't think that that mask, especially a cloth mask, is going to do a thing for you. It just won't. It can't. It's not designed to. The so matt yeah <laughs> you're just you're, you're like man uh, i'm getting thinking? thrown into all this <laughs> well one thing i was thinking is i don't know if we mentioned before but we're pulling this data the thing we're we're all looking at right now is from july 11th so two days ago and it's the johnson county health department report right mm -hmm. i'm not sure if we made that clear to the listeners so it's recent data and it's from an official the official source it's not something we just pulled off <laughs> right like whatever.com, right? So. Right, right. This is directly from the it source. Is. Well, and right now cases are surging. That is a fact. Um, however, we are testing a lot more. Um, there are also practices in place where if you are one person and you test positive and let's say you continue testing until you get that negative result, every positive test is counted as a case. Right. They don't only make it just one person. Um, and then also they have not actually separated the COVID-19 specific virus from all the other COVID viruses out there. There are viruses under the coronavirus family that basically cause the common cold. And this virus has mutated so many times just exactly. since inception. And they also have a difficult time differentiating between antibodies. If this is like just something that's been in your body, we all have viruses. We all have bacteria and pathogens inside of our body. We just live with. Mm -hmm. And so to, you know, they just haven't divided up. Okay. Is this an active virus that's going on right now that you will heal from in the next two weeks? And you're going to have antibodies that last forever. They just haven't divided all of that out. So the actual positive cases, you know, also take that with a grain of salt too, especially your asymptomatic carriers, who's to say it wasn't just a virus that's just laying there dormant, you know, like we all had chicken pox as a child, that virus lays dormant in your body for the rest of your life. Does that mean you have chicken pox for the rest of your life? No. Or does it mean it just lays dormant after you've had it and you've recovered from the symptoms? Sure. Yep. And can you spread it for the rest of your life or only while you're symptomatic? Only when only you're symptomatic. symptomatic. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I was going to earlier, this is good that we tied back to this, I think, because I was going to ask 
either of you, Doc Hawk, whatever, to talk about um, how the body actually fights off disease. Like how does, what's the process in your body when a virus is introduced? Well, your body actually goes through a process. So let, let me talk about how viruses propagate. So they look like uh, a spaceship, if you will, that comes and docks onto another spaceship, a much larger one, or like the moon, which would be like your cell. It comes and docks in and then it inserts its genetic material into your cells. When it gets into your cells, then it integrates into the genetic material of your cells. And every time your cell divides, it's growing more back more more virus. So that's how it forms. And then it, it upregulates that process. And then eventually the cell lyses or breaks. And that's when more viruses are born out into your body. So that's how viruses replicate inside you. Um, how do you overcome it? Your body says, wait a minute, mm -hmm. <laughs> this isn't right. And so it forms special immune cells that go out and they search and destroy. That's what they do. They essentially break the way that the genetic components of the virus can propagate and make it inert then. Gotcha. Okay. And so then that's, is that why we're able to like, we could get the flu or like mm -hmm. get a flu virus, but not actually come down with the flu or various other, like, are you hundred percent going to get the flu if no. you get exposed to the virus? No. I think that's also too, where every person's body is different and your own, um, immune system is very different where you could have a virus, but show zero symptoms. Uh, I believe that, and from the research and science I've looked at as well, you have a certain threshold of toxicity and of your diseased cells and so forth. And when it's time to clean out your body and get rid of all of the damaged cells and the viruses and bacteria that's been built up and your body's like, I've had enough, let's get rid of this. That's when you start to have symptoms. That's when you have the flu. That's when a fever comes in and it kills off all the bad stuff in your body. That's when your skin, your skin is your largest eliminatory organ in your body. And that's when you start having the rash or the bumps and so forth. Your body is just fast forwarding, getting rid of all the bad stuff so that you can actually produce new cells and you will be healthier at the end of it. So it just depends on the person, each person individually. And to see that this, you know, this virus in particular, COVID, such a high percentage are asymptomatic. Uh, that tells me that the virus itself is even less, less serious and less deadly because the majority of the population can handle it without even showing a symptom. And the only way they know if they even have it in their body is to get a test. Yep. Right. It's interesting though. Cause then like occasionally there's a person who gets it and is dead within like three days. Right. I mean, there's been these, like that's, that is happening. We, I personally know some people where that's been happening there. So what's in order like, for that to happen, there's underlying conditions that are at play. There's, comorbidity issues that are present. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I'd be curious to know too, what was the treatment that was used on them? Were they put on a ventilator? Which or, is almost a death Which they're doing less and less now, right? Yeah. Exactly. In New York City, it had been shown, they continued the course with ventilators. Even when they saw that it was killing people, they continued the course. And it is showing that nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10 people put on a ventilator for COVID actually ends up passing away mm -hmm. from the ventilator, not necessarily COVID. So I'd be curious to see what were the medical treatments. Another thought to think about as well, 
again, if it is as if the virus is as deadly as the media would love you to believe, how many people have actually died in their homes from not seeking medical treatment soon enough? Or how many homeless people on the street who are not wearing masks, they're in close proximity to each other, they're not social distancing. How many homeless people have we picked up in body bags? None. None. So Zero. the only people I know of that have died are ones that have had medical treatment or in long ter- long-term care facilities, but it's you know, they're not saying that all medical treatment is causing, that's not, not what I'm saying, but if the virus is so serious, why aren't we hearing reports about people that are just dying that have not had medical treatment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really a shocking statistic when you think about it. Um, you look at the slums that are occurring in San Francisco or LA where you have, you know, thousands of homeless people. Well, they may have positive tests, but they're not dying from COVID. They're not. And there's like zero examples of that. So this all boils down to a very important thing. If we depend on masks, which are ineffective, and if you're using a surgical mask, which may be the best one that you can possibly use in this case properly with clean procedure, and you're concerned, it's probably the best thing you can do for yourself if that's what you choose to do. Or as I've said, since this very first started, the best thing you can possibly do is get exposure, get immune and go on and live your life, which is what we do with every other virus that comes around every year. Absolutely. And then that can help create that herd immunity by having the healthy population go ahead and get it. And that protects it. Once they get it, they can't get it again, um, ideally uh, or theoretically. And so they can't pass it on to the vulnerable population at that point. And, you know, just to kind of pivot a little bit with the what we were talking about with medical talk, it is important to note that the third leading cause of death is medical error. Yeah, and, you know, I, I'm so grateful for our medical community. Having had five C-sections myself, I am not um, taking them. I'm not belittling them in any way whatsoever. But at the same time, you know, we are all human beings. We all do make mistakes. Nobody is perfect. And to realize and just kind of look at it a little bit deeper that, um, you know, if that that is that is a fact yeah the third leading cause of preventable death is medical malpractice and that's not a slam on the medical profession it's just the reality of the numbers so when we think about this same time period let's just say january 1 to today um think about all the people who have died from diabetes or heart disease it's far 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 greater and that's those are way more pressing issues but see most of those issues are lifestyle issues and lifestyle diseases is really where we we just say, oh, it's up to them. No, that's actually a much, much, much bigger issue than this ever will be. But people, the thing is, it's up to that person to take responsibility. Here, what we're doing is we're turning the tables and we're using this as a leverage point to, to the other person. You're not wearing a mask. You're going to kill me. Mm-hmm. Actually, that happened in my son's youth group. Um, he reads his own material, comes up with his own conclusions. He just made, he was, he made a comment about the, uh, just being disappointed in the Kansas governor for her decision. And then instantly all these people start piling talking about how he's a murderer now. And teenagers can be cruel, but that was really, they were saying some incredibly mean things. It seems that the verbiage that is consistently being used over and over again. It makes you wonder where are they getting it? Is it from the media? I've heard that many times too, that only with the COVID is the very first virus among thousands of viruses that we are exposed to that if you're not protecting someone else from that virus, then you're considered a murderer. Yeah. Never before in the history of any virus have we taken on that responsibility 
for another person. And, you know, this just doesn't make any sense. If somebody, seven strangers removed, happened to get a virus that maybe they were exposed to very distantly from you, how does that qualify you as a murderer? Yeah. Yep. Yep. What about personal responsibility? Reminds me of the secondhand smoke conversation. Yeah. Remember that got really big, I don't know, well, whatever, 10, 15, 20 years ago, whenever that was. Seems similar because then it was like somebody else's behavior is affecting me and there was this big crackdown on it. Only thing is that was effective. Yeah. Right? That one actually has I proof. Mean, that actually <laughs> that actually has proof. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you what do you guys think is like the big underlying issue? Like with the virus itself or no, with no, like with people, the condition of people's, you know, fear and perspective. I think that we are so conditioned as a society, watching TV, watching the news, watching movies. It's a very subconscious attack and um, it creates this like this addiction to feeling fear. It is exciting to feel fear. It gives an adrenaline, you know, rush. It makes you feel alive to have that nervous energy in your body. And so it's very difficult to turn off the news or turn off a social media that's feeding that addiction. And at the end of the day, like this really isn't, if you look at the data, if you look at who's actually being affected from the virus and how it's actually not killing millions, millions, millions of people the way you would love to, that they're trying to make it out to be, there's nothing to fear. And that's difficult for people to just be okay with and to sit with. And it's very easy to um, support mandates from the government uh, that takes away just a simple liberty as such as breathing oxygen uh, freely and wherever you choose to go because of that fear. When you're fearful, you're paralyzed. And it's very difficult to make really clear decisions because you're just paralyzed in fear. You need someone to come and save the day. Yeah, I had an interesting discussion with, well, I use that term lightly, um, with somebody who said, thank goodness the president finally wore a mask. Well, he was in a uh, hospital setting, um, and it was a requ- and I, I understand that type of circumstance using clean procedures to use it properly. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. I understand that. But he goes, you know, he would have saved millions more people if he had just mandated it earlier. And I think, you know what? You're, you're, you're an autonomous person. You could have made a choice if you believe that's what it would take. Why didn't you make that choice? Why would you wait for somebody else to tell you to do it if you thought that was the right choice or decision? And, of course, there's the, the T-shirts, scarves, um, whatever, towels, you know, the things that people are trying to use today, which are, oh, there was a person wearing pantyhose. Um, mm-hmm. where, where was this at? We just heard it on Saturday. This guy put pantyhose over his head and walked into a store and called it a mask. You know, it, the, I like to think of it, take a chain link fence, take a bag of sand and pour it over the chain link fence. How much sand did you stop? That's, that's almost the exact equivalent in size. Well, and what's interesting too is because anything qualifies for a mask, including a lace doily, yes. then how Thank you, on Alyssa earth? Milano. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Then how on earth can the mandate actually be about health and not compliance? And so that's what it is. They're trying what what this is a test for is to see who is going to comply just to put anything over your face. And it's not about saving another person. It's who's going to listen. 
Yep. Who's going to fall under peer pressure? Who's going to worry about the pu- public perception of what other people think about them? And I think at the end of the day, you know, a lot of people will tell you, I'm doing this for you. I care about you. Well, that's a really popular phrase to say right now. And I think more people are worried about what other people think about them. There you go. And not so much about you. <laughs> they don't care about you. They just want other people to think positive thoughts about them. Yep. Yep. The research doesn't back it. Right. My, the theory, I guess my personal theory that I've developed is like, it's all about the unknown and the mm-hmm. fear is coming from what, the unquantified, just stuff that we can't quite put, wrap our heads around or put our finger on yet. And when, whether it's in terms of the data, like the stuff that you guys are talking about, but there's so many sources of data and, you know, yep. so many opinions flying around. And it's like, I think that once it becomes more of a known issue, and people feel like they can understand it, the fear will subside. This is my personal theory on it. Yeah. Because there's, like we're all talking about, there's so many risks that we deal with every day, mm-hmm. but we're just comfortable with those risks. Driving a car. So we get in our car and get on the freeway, knowing that there's whatever percentage that we will get in a wreck and die that day doing driving that time, but we're, we accept that risk. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's the unknown, you know, because I don't think it's actually correct to say that there's nothing to fear. I think it's more correct to say there's nothing it's it's not a greater risk than a lot of other risks that we already face. That's good. Right. There Mm -hmm. is a risk. I mean, you could get covid and it could attack you the wrong way and you could die like that has happened. Right. I mean, we're not disputing that people have died from this. So I don't think there's zero risk. But I also don't think that there's like a greater risk than all these other factors that we are already used to facing. You make an excellent point with that. And I think at the end of the day, everything is a balance. And trying to figure out, you know, risk versus reward, where where is your risk higher than what you're willing to do and live life? Um, I think that because there are so many unknowns, the general population puts so much of their trust in a couple of main outlets, main news source outlets, as well as our government, um, as well as the CDC to tell you exactly what you need to know. And a lot of people just stop right there. They don't dig any further. Well, if you only look at those three sources, those three sources will make you think the, the sky is falling down and you need to literally stay in your house. And Texas is now giving rec- like there's some um, news articles coming out saying you need to wear a mask in your own home. You need to turn off your air conditioning because you can spread through the air conditioning. If you're in Texas, and you're in your own home wearing a mask with no air conditioning. You're going to die from heat stroke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the, at the end of the day, yes, there is a risk. We're not disputing that. There's a risk to everything. But right. with driving a car or lightning hitting you or anything else, at what other situation and what other situation in life are we literally locking up our doors, driving our businesses to the ground? People are dying from, you know, uh, from suicide because they're yep. so stressed out yep. about this. Families are being torn apart. You know, you have divorces happening all because they're afraid of a virus that has a 99.97% survival rate and it is affecting, you know, what 70, more than 85% of people over the age of your typical lifespan. Yep. And so that's just kind of the balance in the equation you've got to look at. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you. It's like acceptable risk. Yes. It's it's impossible to eliminate risk anyway from Mm -hmm. our lives like Mm -hmm. that. We just have to come to terms with that. Okay, so and you said a great phrase like what we're putting our faith in or what we're putting our trust in. So then the question I think would be, where do we put our faith? What do we trust in? For me, um, it is discernment. 
Um, I am a very faith-based person. I have a very strong relationship with my creator. Um, I allow that instinct to take place and um, I follow that. And I believe we all have that sixth sense of that makes sense or no, that doesn't make sense. And so I think following that and understand we are given an immune system for a reason and having faith in that and, and realizing we haven't most of us have not died from the flu. We've not died from stomach bugs. We've not died from allergies or the common cold before. You know, why suddenly is this one virus, you know, going to wipe out all of humanity when it hasn't even touched anywhere near that yet? So for me, it's more discernment, looking at as much information as possible. If I have a question, I don't take the answer lightly. I try to keep on digging until I feel a sense of peace with what the information is, where, where it makes sense. And I think anything that induces fear into you, you've got to keep digging because that fear is not true. Yeah. Mm. Fear is a spirit. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Let's talk more about that with the time that we have left. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, that's just, yeah. it is, it's a spirit of fear. You know, if people were to turn around and use this much time, um, as they spend buying masks, putting on masks and perhaps eating great foods, taking zinc and vitamin D3 and getting adjusted and exercising, guess what? We'll end up with a healthier, healthier population base. But that means they have to be proactive and it's not an outside in, it's an inside out choice. Fear is an outside in influence that corrupts your identity. I've always thought of God equals truth. Anything that is from God that is the equivalent to love will give you a sense of peace. Anything that gives you that anxious feeling or that fear means there's some lie in whatever mm -hmm. it is you're believing. So you've got to dig into what is it you're believing and you have to dig and dig and dig until you feel that peace. Because if you feel that fear, you're believing something that's not true. Mm. So I think as businesses, as we all can contend with, you know, the governor gave us a list of exemptions that's a mile long that uh, people are do not have to follow the mandate order. And I believe every single person qualifies underneath that exemption. And as a business, you're following the rules by allowing people to exercise their exemption if they come in or your employees, if they choose to wear a mask or not. There you go. If people would like to um, get a hold of you on the professional level, the, the company that you're working for, Highwire, how can they get a hold of you there? So I am also the development director for a nonprofit called Informed Consent Action Network. And we uh, support the show, The High Wire with Dell Bigtree. It airs every Thursday. You can find it on social media, uh, Thursday at one o'clock central time. Uh, you can email me directly if you like. My email address is Brittany at ICanDecide.org. And it's B-R-I-T-N-E-Y at ICanDecide.org. Tune in, just look for The High Wire with Del Big Tree. You can find on, on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. We reach between two and nine people every week now. People are starving for information and we are 100% supported, which means that we do not have any angle bias or um, any person or company we have to report to. So we work with scientists, doctors, medical professionals from around the world to give you fast information that you need to know. Yep, great. Matt, any closing thoughts? You good? I think I think we she nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. So in closing, don't forget, if you're in the need market for coffee, go to Renegade Atlas, go to sponsors and get yourself some Shenandoah Joe coffee. Um, use the promo code Renegade so we get credit for that. We sure would appreciate it. And then um, 
Everybody, we are entering a, a season of electioneering, <laughs> and we are going to uh, navigate these waters, I think, with uh, the idea of identity and um, addressing the world events in perhaps a new and different way if we can. We hope to get some candidates on, and when we do, we hope to take a whole different approach to interviewing these candidates, potentially one of the persons running for governor of Missouri. We've got some U.S. senator candidates, and we'll just see what all shakes out. It'll be awesome stuff. Thank you so much, everybody. And Brittany, thank you so much for joining us in studio. We sure do appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Good job. Yeah, you did great.